pair of bullpen situations are now in flux and a trio of brewers could get a boost from the universal DH. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three brews yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, June 26th. I'm Al Melkier, and I am here with Derek Van Riper. And uh, DVR on the Thursday show, uh, it was the, the first time in a long time that uh, we really had more news to talk about than we had time on the show to talk about it. I actually inadvertently like left out things. So it's it's very much spring training 2.0 for me um, here on uh, Fantasy Baseball <laughs> in 15. And we got more news uh, today. Let's start with some bullpen news. Uh, starting with the Cardinals, not good news for John Brebbia. He had Tommy John surgery earlier this month. So um, I, I feel like I was on Brebbia Island uh, in that I thought he had a really legitimate shot at, at saves uh, this year. And of course, that's going back to, you know, much, much earlier when we didn't necessarily know how long of a season we would have. Um, does this change anything for you or, or did you not really see him in the picture to begin with? I just thought he was one of many alternatives. I thought you could see Ryan Helsley. You could maybe see John Gant possibly getting into the mix. And I think where you have one fewer guy with Brebbia's injury, you might have one addition coming back with Jordan Hicks being closer to a return thanks to the delayed start of the season. So um, I don't know if I would give Giovanni Gallegos an upgrade based on Brebbia's absence because of the expected return of Hicks. I think Gallegos is one of those guys that skills-wise could be probably a solid tier two closer, uh, but in terms of job security, I'm not handling him at that level just yet. He's a notch below that for me. Okay, so I, I take it that that would be tier three. Um, so what does that mean in terms of the the types of leagues? Uh, like, you know, would he be your third reliever then in a you know, a, a nine pitcher roto league or, um, you know, more of a deep league option. Yeah, that's where he fits in for me. More of your third source of saves, because if he has the job temporarily or if he has to share it, uh, you kind of have a, a half share of a closer and you, could, you can get away with that. That can be enough to put you over the top. I think the ratios can be good. The K rate should be good enough where he's an OK staff filler. Uh, so at least 12 team mixed leagues and deeper, I think, is where I'm looking for him as that that third option for saves. Like in a 10 teamer in some of those leagues that have high volumes of moves, he might be on and off rosters if they end up mixing and matching in the late innings. Yeah, well, and, and another situation that uh, appeared to be a fluid one, uh, you know, from the very, very beginning of the initial spring training was the Mariners. And I think that one had I'm assuming that one had a lot less appeal for people, because unlike with Gallegos, there wasn't really one reliever that that stood out so much more above the others. I got the sense that the the consensus, such as there was one, was that uh, Yoshihisa Hirano would probably get more saves than everybody else. But there is a, a development here, I think, that could affect that. And this comes from Ryan Divish uh, of the Seattle Times, that Austin Adams, uh, who had surgery for a torn ACL, he's going to be ready for the second spring training. So... Uh, I know Scott Service had intended to begin the season without a set closer. I don't know that this changes that, but he also did say back in, I think, February that if somebody stepped up 
uh, and really establish themselves, they could run away with the job. So do you think that Adams is that sort of reliever? And uh, where would you think about uh, targeting him? Yeah, I think he is that sort of reliever. I think of the options they have, you know, comparing him to Hirano and CJ Edwards and some of the other late inning options. I think Adams really pops because the strikeout rate last season was outstanding. 53 Ks and just 32 innings, uh, only 20 hits allowed. I think he's kind of his own worst enemy. We've seen the walk rate get really inflated at times, both in the big leagues last year, four and a half walks per nine, and even in the minors as well. Uh, but you can get away with it if you strike out 40 plus percent of the batters you face. And I think Adams is actually capable of doing that. So I think comparing him to someone like Gallegos, maybe in the same tier, but Adams probably is a little bit later for me in terms of where I'd actually be comfortable taking him. Uh, but I could definitely see him emerging as the most skilled option of this bunch and the closer that Seattle ultimately lands on, even if they don't give him the opportunity right away. Yeah. And, you know, I think also it's worth pointing out that you almost certainly won't have to target him as early as you would for Gallegos. But I think ultimately he might wind up being the more valuable of the two just because, and I think this is something you said uh, at the very end of of your analysis, is that there's, I, I perceive that there's quite a gap between what he could be uh, skills-wise versus anybody else in that Mariners bullpen, whereas uh, the, the Cardinals have several candidates. I think that could challenge Gallegos, um, including Hicks, and um, you know even with the absence of, of John Brebbia. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a name to tuck away. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Brewers' designated, uh, designated hitter situation. Uh, this is something that came really uh, onto my radar uh, more so than some of the other situations due to a, a tweet from the Brewers beat writer, uh, Tom Hodricourt. And um, he wrote a piece in which he, he stated that he thinks that Ryan Braun could get a lot of the reps at DH, which would really open up the possibility for the Brewers to go with a pretty much a set outfield um, of uh, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain and Avisail Garcia. And then with Justin Smoke, playing a lot at first base. So that's a really, really different picture than what you and I were talking about, you know, back in February and in early March. Um, You know, all three of these players, Braun, Garcia, and Smoke, I think could wind up picking up a lot more playing time. Does that change your assessment of any or all of those three? I think the biggest winner here is probably Garcia um, because... He should have been an everyday player all along, but without the DH, he would have been most likely to yield the playing time. I mean, Lorenzo Cain is a gold glove winner in center field. Christian Yelich is one year removed from winning the NL MVP award. Those guys are not going to take days off in a shortened season unless they have to. So it would have been Garcia who was probably getting squeezed the most just to keep Braun in the outfield mix and to not have him constantly playing first base because first base always seemed like a fallback option for Braun, not really a a primary position. Uh, So I guess you could say in a secondary way, yeah, Justin Smoke wins a little bit too. With slightly expanded rosters, I'm curious to see if the Brewers keep Logan Morrison because he was in camp as a non-roster invite and there's at least a chance now that he sticks around because he could kind of put some pressure on smoke. So maybe that's where some of my apprehension with Justin smoke comes from. I think Garcia has been a little bit underdrafted, even with the threat of Braun taking away a start or two each week. Now that he could have a spot to call his own in that lineup every day, I would push Garcia up probably 40 or 50 spots. I, I think he belongs closer to like ADP 150. And I don't think 
he's going to move that much in the next few weeks as drafts pick up again. Uh, so yeah, why why that much of a, of a jump? Because I think we're talking about um, you, you know on the one hand, you know we're I'm the one who raised this as you know this could be a, a boon for Garcia as as well as the other two hitters, and then again we're talking a, about a, a playing time boon within the context of a 60 game season. So maybe it's um, and I did the math earlier. Unfortunately, it's not top of mind for me, but it wasn't like a huge number of, of plate appearances that you're adding on top, but maybe it doesn't have to be a huge difference to make a difference in a 60 game season. Yeah, I don't think it has to be um, just looking at some rankings and projections. Things are very clustered as you'd expect. Um, looking forward to getting those out on the site in the near future. Jake Seeley hard at work on, on the numbers right now. Uh, but I think with Garcia, I mean, I think the other thing we have to think about, this is a team that now has a DH, and with the DH, they can turn that lineup over a little bit more. Uh, it's a hitter-friendly home park, being in Miller Park anyway. So he was already lined up to play in the most hitter-friendly home park he's ever played in as a big leaguer. Uh, he offers good power. I think he offers a little bit of speed as well. And the batting average floor is really nice. I mean, the XBA got all the way up to 309 back in 2017, settled in at 275 last year. I just think this is kind of a skills consolidation plus opportunity plus home park being as good as it's ever been. Just everything kind of falling into place for Garcia right now. Yeah, um, although I was surprised to find that he had better uh, home uh, power splits at tr- at the Trop last year than uh, on the road because I I was thinking the same thing like wow you know this is a guy who's been pretty consistent as a twenty homer threat over a full season. And, uh, you know, he's going to be able to, uh, you know, really take advantage of that. So I'm not sure how much the park factors will come into play, you know, played a long time, a guaranteed rate field, which is, is pretty good. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, disputing your point because I think this is probably the best park he's, he's played in for power. But um, I also want to underscore what you said about the batting average, because do you recall after that 2017 season when he batted 330? and hit almost 400 on balls in play that everybody was calling him a fluke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not it's not going out, uh, you know, way out on a limb to say that about somebody who's hitting almost 400 on balls in play. But you mentioned the speed, and he's been really consistently a good hitter for average when he puts the ball on the ground. And I don't think many of us are accustomed to thinking of Garcia as a, a player who has a lot of speed and that that's something that can help him in fantasy because he's not a big stolen base compiler. But uh, I think that speed has really helped his batting average a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's backed up in raw speed metrics too. It's not like he's a, a big guy who's kind of an average runner who chooses his spots carefully. He's in the 90th percentile in terms of sprint speed. So he can move. He's a good defensive <laughs> outfielder. So, I mean, this is good for the Brewers all around. Ryan Braun not playing defense. Ryan Braun being less likely to get hurt while playing in the outfield uh, is a, a bolster. It's a boost to their lineup as well. So I, I just I think Garcia was one of the more underrated signings of the offseason. Certainly, I'm a little biased as a Brewers fan, but I think the more I've dug into the numbers, the more I could see why they might have seen him as a guy that could probably replace Mike Moustakis in the lineup pretty easily. And they got him on a, a shorter contract and they are filling an area of need in the process. And it just happened to work out that universal DH happened this year too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to get back to the batting average one last time here, um, I'm looking at the projections and first of all, great news, uh, which is that on fan graphs, 
uh, we now have steamer projections for a 60 game season. So uh, you don't have to do the math anymore, at least not on the steamer projections. Uh, they're right there. And every projection system has him with under a 280 batting average. And in fact, a couple have him under a 270 batting average. I would expect him to beat all of those projections. Yeah, I would too. I just think the underlying numbers are well above average. And I think the K rate even came down a little bit last year. Uh, I almost wonder if he gets dinged in fantasy circles because of some of the things he doesn't do in real life. If we look at him through a sabermetric lens, when we need to look at him through a rotisserie lens, he's never drawn a ton of walks, but he walks enough, just about 6% of the time for his career. I think he's going to settle right into the middle third of that order, probably the number five hitter most days for the Brewers. And if you look at a uh, projection that includes stat cast numbers, Derek Cardi's new system, the Bat-X, is a bit more aggressive than the other systems on Garcia as well. So I, I do think at least the 270 range batting average is, is what I'm expecting. But I think he's going to be uh, at least average, probably above average in all five categories this season. Yeah, yeah. And don't, yeah, don't underestimate those uh, steals. He hit double digits last year in a full season, of course. Um, so yeah, a good, a good across the board threat that you could get uh, still, you know, possibly pretty late in uh, in 12 team drafts. Uh, let's uh, turn to our featured read DVR. Uh, this one is from the aforementioned uh, Jake Seeley. And um, it, it's a, a good piece to get us back to thinking about uh, restarting our leagues on uh, league rules and settings for a 60-game fantasy baseball season. And one of the things that he brings up are contingency plans. I've seen a few people in our fantasy baseball community bring this up. Have you given any thought to um, you know, what sorts of things you'd like to see your leagues have in place uh, for contingencies? And I think you know specifically if um, the COVID outbreak um, puts, puts a halt to the season. Yeah, I've been thinking about it and kind of waiting to see what Ron Chandler and Steve Gardner are doing as as people who run uh, high-profile leagues that I get to play in. And I think Ron came up with an idea for the XFL, which is a, a long-standing keeper league. It's similar to like a Tout Wars of keeper leagues, I guess. If the season doesn't progress to the point where each team has averaged 50 games played, that's the cutoff point for uh, not rolling over contracts and and kind of you know, changing some of the things that would ordinarily happen in a keeper league. And I, I do like having that kind of set near completion. I don't fifty. You could be a little high. Maybe you could justify going down to forty because you're talking about two thirds of the season being completed. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of where I'm leaning for the keeper leagues I run. Having a marker out there that if we're going to pay out prizes, if we're going to advance contracts. We have to get at least this far. If we don't get that far, not only are we not going to pay out prizes, everyone's going to get their entry fee back, but we're also going to freeze contracts to basically turn 2021 into 2020. You know, I'm in a lot of leagues where players get more expensive over time or you have a few years before you have to offer an extension. And I feel like pushing forward if the season doesn't happen or if it's not completed, that doesn't seem quite right. So I think leaving it up to the progress made is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, you know, something that uh, all of us are going to have to, uh, you know, figure out in the the coming days and weeks. Um, but we'll uh, leave further discussion of that uh, for later, because that's going to wrap up not only this episode, but this week in fantasy baseball in 15. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Monday. <laughs> 